Continuing our study of Galatians, I want to look at Galatians chapter 4 in three sections and taking each in reverse order. So in Galatians 4, 21 to 31, Paul contrasts the slavery or self-sufficiency with the freedom and all-sufficiency of grace. In chapter 4, verses 8 to 20, Paul warns the Galatians and us about falling away from grace. And I'll end with these wonderful verses in chapter 4, verses 1 to 7, on what it means to be heirs of the promise made to Abraham. In Galatians 4, 21 to 31, Paul uses an allegory as a teaching method, speaking about two children, Abraham and Isaac, two women, Sarah and Hagar, and two status, slave and free. And in the story of Ishmael and Isaac, two sons of Abraham, conceived by two different women, Hagar, Sarah's slave, and Sarah, verse 23 says the son of the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but the son of the free woman was born as a result of a promise. Abraham was promised that he would have a child who would be his heir the bearer of the line that would bring salvation into the world. God also told him that it would be Sarah's child, despite her being barren. Sarah is a picture of grace that God would provide. His promise is trustworthy. And the narrative develops that in time they lost hold of the promise and decided to do it their own way, rather than waiting for God's timing and God's supernatural way. Ishmael was conceived, but through human attainment. The contrast with law and promise is coming across here. Paul in verse 25 says, Ishmael and Hagar represent the law, the covenant of Sinai, and the earthly city of Jerusalem. They're a type of a people who have not accepted Christ and are still in slavery. They're under the law. Conversely, Isaac and Sarah representing, uh, represented being saved by grace. The heavenly Jerusalem, the kingdom for all who believe in uh, believe is true freedom. The historical account is literal, but we can also learn from the story as an allegory. History records that there has been strife and warfare between the descendants of Isaac and Ishmael down the years. The gospel of grace is that we cannot attain freedom by our own abilities. So a ritual of prayer a certain number of times a day in a particular posture or a certain amount of good deeds, a certain amount of giving of money may all be good stuff, but it amounts to slavery, not freedom. It can never equate to the righteousness that has been provided for us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, there is nothing that we can do to gain our salvation. A person isn't justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. We got that in Galatians 2, verse 16. So turning now to Galatians 4, verses 8 to 20. Again, just remind you, I'm doing this in reverse order. Galatians 4, 8 to 20. An overview of this is that the Galatians were formerly in slavery, to other gods, but then they came to know the true God. But why are they now returning to their former slavery by becoming hostile to Paul? Paul refers to the fact that at first the Galatians received 
him very warmly. We're very kind to him when he was ill. We don't know much about that illness, and it's a bit of a tangent to go into the details of it here. But later, Paul saw a great change in them by the joy that they used to feel for Paul had gone. So he asks, what has happened to your joy? He detects that these false teachers have got in and poisoned their loving fellowship with Pastor Paul, and he's trying to tackle it. He feels so much affection for these people. He's their pastor, and he's hurting from the loss of fellowship. Paul's love and concern for them is also about how they're falling from grace. In Galatians 4.19, he's laying into them, sensing that they're on the brink of a terrible error. Paul also is speaking as somebody with authority, one who is their pastor. The Galatians had recognized Paul's ministry before and the authority of the gospel. We read that in the early chapters and they had welcomed it. But now something had changed. They seemed to be wandering from the gospel, which is not of human origin, and from the apostle who was Christ appointed. That's a glimpse of Paul's authority that I read into this section. But it also shows us his pastor's heart. In verse 19 he says, I'm in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. The pastor is suffering here. It's a glimpse of a pastor's mindset. He longs for the people to grow spiritually, longing for the church or the fellowship to grow, and he sees the potential in them. And he is pained whenever people are wandering from the truth. Oh, how we need to pray for our pastors and leaders and ministers today. And finally, in Galatians 4, verses 1 to 7, what it means to be children of God and heirs. Notice in these verses that our sonship is not a universal thing. It's, about, it's not about our common humanity, that we are made in God's image. It's nothing about that. Being a child of God is a much deeper thing. It's about a relationship. Again, it's about grace and receiving all that Christ has for you through his victory of the cross. Let's deal with this idea of calling everybody sons. I I, I sense a feminist backlash if I don't deal with it now. Of course, we can translate it as children of God. Many versions do, rather than sticking with the word son. But if we do that, we miss an important point relating to the culture and the time when this was written by Paul. At that time, daughters could not inherit property. So when Paul refers to son. He means legal heir. He has already clarified this in Galatians 3 verse 26, that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. So we are all one, but he's sticking with referring to the idea of sonship in Galatians 4. In verses 4, 1 to 2, he uses the illustration of a son who is an heir to a great estate. When that child is a minor, He is no better than a slave because he's under the authority of guardians. But when he comes of age, he comes into his inheritance and he gets the freedom to use all that that estate was or is. 
you gain the full rights as sons, Galatians 4 verse 5. In other words, what Jesus has done for us makes us come of age. It's not something that happens to us later uh, when we reach some kind of spiritual maturity. When we come, we, we come to age at new birth, as it were. The inheritance is not earned. It's not even something that we deserved. It comes to the child automatically because of the legal status. And the inheritance is also a privilege of intimacy. I want to finish with this. In 4 verse 6, where we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is a word of emotion and intimacy based on our confidence in God's love for us. A child doesn't worry about getting sacked for disobeying the family rules. You can't suddenly get a letter from dad saying you're no longer in the family. Though I did once get a letter from my seven-year-old daughter saying I was no longer her father because I didn't allow her to have sweets one Friday, which was Sweetie Day. That was a bit extreme. She said, you're no longer a dad. You're just a man. Well, it was funny at the time. But God will never disown us. If anything, the father's heart goes out even more to a wayward child, not less. That's the message of the prodigal son. And that's a message for us today. We can go back to our father when we've failed or whenever we're in trouble and we say, Dad, we're hurting. Dad, we're sorry. It's a really intimate relationship. We have full access to God in prayer. Our salvation was won for us, uh, has won for us that same nearness to God that Jesus had with God. In my work as hospital chaplain, I noticed three things about prayer when health or even life is threatened. Three things that are almost instinctive when you can't even think to pray. And Galatians 4 verse 6 nails it. God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Three words, crying, Abba, Father. The first is we cry. Some people think prayer is when we present a list of things we need to God. Please, Lord, I want this and that. But the message in Galatians 4, 6, crying, is not a prayer. It's not a praise, but crying is a word of emotion. No fancy words, no deep, meaningful thoughts or cries of emotion. The Holy Spirit within us does this in our hour of need. And when you come to the Lord and cry, or any longing will do, you will be with the Father and you will know his peace and comfort, his strength and courage to endure. And the second thing is that we cry, Abba. It's an Aramaic word, the language that Jesus used, and we're told it means daddy, not father. But I believe Paul is getting at something much deeper here, because Abba is not a word children of those days used for daddy. It's more primal than that. Abba is like the first words of a child, like Dada or Abba. It's primal. The infant says Da, Da, and reaches out. She just wants his presence, his touch, his comfort, wants to be safe, wants to be held. 
Everyone can pray, but something new happens when you become a child of God, a Christian. You get an instinctive, primal prayer, Abba, simply wanting nearness, touch, safety of our Heavenly Father. And the third thing is its kinship, crying, Abba, Father. When Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father in heaven, he gives us a language of intimacy because we are God's children, both kith and kin, friends and relations of Jesus, sons and daughters of our Father. Galatians 4 verse 7 says, You are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. You have a position in the family of God, being known, being loved and precious. Praise be his holy name. Amen.